Hey everyone, I'm Sierra Combs and I'm the Women's Director here at the River Church. Thanks for checking out one of our messages today. We would love to get connected with you and your family. One easy way to do that is to text River Connect one word, to 97,000, or you can visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and our upcoming events. If you'd like to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount you want to give to 84321, or you can visit our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope that you enjoyed the message today. So last week we kind of started uh, like almost like a three-part series inside of a series because I truly believe uh, last week's topic, and it was a doozy of one, so ladies who were up at ladies' retreat, good job, you, you missed a, a lead balloon of a sermon. But we talked about adultery, we talked about sexual sin, we, we talked about lust, so we kind of went into that. Uh, the reason we go into those, not just because we're trying to be controversial, we, because we look at the Bible, and the Bible talks about real issues. So we preach out of the Bible. So uh, this week, uh, we're going to talk about uh, another lead balloon of a topic, but we're going to talk about divorce. Now, instantly, I, I think I said the word divorce, and there was like almost a tightening of your heart, like, oh, we're going there. And again, we're not doing this to be controversial. We're not doing this to be uh, just because we want to rabble-rouse or rub people the wrong way or offend somebody. We're teaching this because it's in the Bible. We're not pulling something out. If, you, if you've been following along and you go through the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus brings up the topic of divorce. But for me, when I was looking at last week, when I was looking at lust and adultery and sexual impurity, and then this week looking at divorce, like I view the Bible through the lens of family. I see family through Genesis all the way to Revelation, God the Father, God the Son. You see the church should be in the bride. You, you see uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. So when I look at the Bible, when I read the Bible, I, I see so much of an element of family ministry. So for me to look at, again, the, 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 the toxic, the, the destructiveness of lust, and again, not even going into all of those uh, aspects of lust and adultery, we really landed last week on the wandering heart. Because, again, when lust and adultery start happening, it's not necessarily a, a pornography thing. It's not a computer thing. It's, it's not an eyes-wandering thing. It, it's your heart has wandered away from the Lord. And that's why you start acting in that way. Your heart has wandered away from the Lord in a sense of, again, purity and living for him and righteousness. Your heart has wandered away from your spouse. So looking at, again, that wandering heart when it comes to lust. And then we're kind of here talking about divorce, most of the time when divorce comes, it's because a, a heart has wandered. And it started here, and then we see it played out here. So with this, I've kind of taken comfort in the fact that the most offensive thing I say every single Sunday is the gospel of Jesus Christ, is the fact that God died for your sins, and because of him there is only one way to be forgiven, to be redeemed, to be restored, and to have eternal life. So as much as talking about divorce and lust, these are, these are heavy topics. Looking at people square in the eye and saying the gospel is the only way for life is the most offensive thing I say every week. So I've had to take hope into that. I, I've been talking to some various guys who I, I go to for accountability. I'm like, man, this, this one's going to be heavy, man. This one's going to be hard. But then I had to remind myself, again, preaching the gospel 
is the most offensive thing. The fact that we need Jesus to die on a cross for us to have life. But there's also the sensitive aspect of this. Talking about divorce, I'm going to be very blunt, I know the audience that I'm talking to. I'm not a disengaged pastor. I'm not somebody who doesn't know your story. I'm not somebody who hasn't prayed for you. I'm not somebody who's just, again, I'm not on Mount Olympus and I'm, I'm disconnected from everything else. Like, no, like, I, I, I've sat with a lot of you. I've talked with a lot of you. I, I can look out and I can see faces and I'm like, ooh. But when you say divorce, there is that squirm. When you say divorce, again, it gets really, really complicated. There's the whys and the whats and the whens. This happened when and this happened how and there's context behind it because the reality is life is complicated. You add sin to the mix and boy does it get vastly more complicated. And divorce can also be painful. And again, it can be painful for the, the spouse, the husband and the wife who go through that. Uh, it can be difficult for the kids. Uh, I'm a product of a very, very bad divorce. My parents got a divorce and it was gross. It was ugly. It was bad. I was reading this week that it says eight out of ten people know somebody or they've gone through divorce. While I pray to God that my marriage never gets to that point, I can still say I'm part of that 80%. Because as a teenager, I had to navigate through what in the world is going on right now. This is why I have anger problems. This is why everything's stupid. This is why I'm mad at everyone. Okay, 80%. But the reality is also, divorce is real. This isn't something that we can talk It's the problem out there. It's the world's problem. We don't deal with that in here. Welcome to the church. We all have issues. We're all busted. We're all sinful. But this is a place where sinful people come to grow in their relationship with God. That's how God designed the church to be. So with this, when you go into issues and heavy topics like this, the church cannot be silent. If the church is silent about complicated and painful and real issues, and we're just going to kind of put our head in the sand like an ostrich and not kind of push into these things, what are we doing? Because you've got people who are genuinely trying to figure out how to navigate through life and live a life that is righteous and glorifying to Christ. And the church is just, "Mm, can't talk about that. It's going to offend somebody. It's going to cause some discomfort. Again, if you want to know my email address, it's rstory@theriverchurch.cc. If I say something today that offends you, feel free to shoot me an email. I'd love to have a conversation with you. But the church cannot be silent about these things. And the reason why, and I, I say this anytime I preach about families, strong churches don't make strong families. Strong families make strong churches. So why is it that I, I want to be able to talk about divorce? Whether you've been through it, you're you're on the verge of it, whether you're you're trying to figure out uh, what to do after. Because I want to make sure that your family, and whatever context you're in right now, is strong. I want to make sure it's rooted in Christ. Why? Because that's going to help the church. It's going to help you be stronger. So we're going to kind of answer three main questions today. So when the anxiety kind of pops up and the, I don't want to listen to this anymore and this is, this is a little bit uncomfortable for me and I've got to relook at the way I've done some stuff. and Three main questions so you can navigate yourself. One, what does the Bible say about divorce? Second thing we're going to look at, is divorce permissible? Through the lens of the Bible, not what Ryan's story says. Again, everything we do is through the word of God. Uh, but then again, if I have been divorced, then what? What's my next step? 
how should I make sure I navigate this? So again, what does the Bible say about divorce? I find it amazing that in the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus brings up divorce. And he doesn't bring it up as a cliff note. No, no, if you've kind of checked chuck the flow, like blessed be, blessed be, blessed be, be the salt and the light, make sure you're not angry, make sure you're not lusting over stuff, divorce. Like he, he's not bringing this in as like the, the hook at the end. He's not bringing up, hey, if anyone struggles in their marriage, make sure you, you're repenting and you're loving your wife. Well, like Jesus, like smack dab in the middle of his sermon, just brings up divorce. So for us, why is that important to know? Because we have to know that divorce was also a problem in Jesus' time too. Divorce, marriage, kids, relationships across the board has been an issue from the moment sin entered the world. The first relationship, man and God, sinful and man hid. Next relationship, you got husband and wife, Adam and Eve, blaming each other, accusing each other. It's your fault. And then you see Cain and Abel, the first relationship outside of that initial creation thing, murder. Killed the dude. So why does Jesus bring up divorce? Because relationships have always been out of whack ever since sin entered the world. So why do we see divorce? Because inside of the marriage, guess what? It's hard. Sin is there. So you married a sinner. But Jesus goes into Matthew chapter 5, verse 31. He says, and it is also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And sometimes like, the, the church can just like, land on that and be like, no divorce, move forward. And then you're like, well, what is Jesus really teaching? What Jesus is kind of combating here is we've got to kind of throw it back to Deuteronomy chapter 24. So Jesus is teaching a massive interpretation issue from Deuteronomy. So Deuteronomy chapter 24 verse 1 says, And when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she, fi- if then she finds no favor in his eyes... Because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hands and sends her out of his house, she departs out of his house. So the big issue here, so we have to define the word indecency, because that's what the the, the religious leaders in Jesus' day were doing. So you had like the hyper, 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 uh, very, very loosey, very liberal aspect with that indecency, Grounds of divorce is if a wife burned their husband's food. Husband could be like, that was indecent. You've lost favor in my eyes. You're gone. Doesn't sound very right. Also, I would argue for any dude who's ever cooked and you've ever burnt something, I I, I would argue the same applies. But there's a liberal group of pharisaical teaching that's like, "Dude, dude, if she burns your food, get her out of there. The liberal group also thought about, again, if if the woman ever spoke illy, of the man's in-laws. Ooh, that's a fun one. If there's ever a moment like, hey, your mom, hey, your dad, you know, your crazy brothers being this, the dude could look at his wife. There's some indecency there. Here's your certificate. See you later. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. And this was religious leaders teaching this because that was indecent. There was another, like, if a woman was walking around with her hair down, indecency, get her out of there. There's another one, and this is the one that I found funny. Speaking harshly to her husband could be considered indecency. So I know no wife 
has ever had to stern talk their husband here. No wife has ever had to have those conversations that you know you are the only one in the world who can have that conversation with your husband in the way that you do. There was religious teachers who if a dude was mopey and it all in the fields went to his buddy who was a Pharisee and was like, dude, she yelled at me for hanging out too late last night. Dude, guess what you should do? Write her a certificate of divorce. Get her out of there, man. This is what people were teaching. There was also the idea that there was teaching that, again, the finding favor. If a woman aged, she wasn't what she was when you married her. She wasn't what she was after she started having some kids. This is religious teaching that would give a man permissibility to give a certificate divorce to his wife, mother of his children, to go find a younger woman. That's disgusting. This is what was being taught. This is what was being done. But you also had the other side. So that's the extremely liberal side. Man, divorce is not a big deal. But you also had this super, 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 super conservative side. So the divorce could happen based off of this indecency. And it wasn't necessarily on this act of adultery. It was actually like if the woman's like showing her ankle too much. Now, not like literally, but again, if, 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 man, I, I don't like your dress code. Indecency. Uh, I don't, don't like the way you're talking. I don't like the way you're looking. I don't like the way you're acting. That, that could be indecency. So they're going on that super conservative, super rules. Nothing was even committed, but I'm going to go at you because of this, that, or the other thing. And I think. So Jesus is looking at the, the, the hyper-conservative side, and he's looking at the hyper-liberal side. He's like, both of you are wrong, as it is said. So like, you need to understand this. But what was the certificate of divorce that was given? Because we do have to jump into the fact that in Deuteronomy chapter 24, Moses gave those. Moses gave those things. So what is the reason behind the certificate? It's actually kind of very, very interesting because, again, is it permissible to get divorced? Jesus answers this question further on in his ministry in Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 7. He says, And they said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? And he said, Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wife. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. So he echoes the exact same thing that he echoes in the Sermon on the Mount. But the Pharisees are like, wait, 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 Moses did this, Jesus. Moses let divorce happen, and you're going to say no? Moses let it happen? How are you going to turn around and say that you're for the Bible and you fulfill the law? How are you going to say that you're not just being a, a heretic and you're not just being a rebel when Moses let this happen? Because the reality is, again, this is almost a divine concession to human weakness. If you're going, well, Moses let it happen, but you're missing the whole because of the hardness of your heart, Moses was giving these certificates not because he was just giving them. He was giving them because man, humanity, relationships, all those things, because there is such a wandering from God. The best way to allow any type of reconciliation, to allow a woman to have any bit of safety, is to give the certificate. So God allowed divorce post-fall, but that's not what he intended. Because again, look, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wife. But this is, but from the beginning, it was not so. Moses is throwing us back to Genesis. 
Yeah, you can get a divorce. Permissibility, okay, that's there. Moses gave those certificates. But this isn't what God intended. This isn't what God wanted. This is not what God wanted marriage to be. This is not what God wanted a, a husband and a wife to act like. So Jesus, in the beginning, he goes back to Adam and Eve. And again, he hits us. I read this in one of my commentaries. It says, husband and wife is an intimacy greater than any other human relationship. The aspect of one flesh. Why does it go God, your wife, or husband, your kids? Because with your kids, it's not one flesh. You can never look at your kids and be like, we have the intimacy that we have in marriage. In the same way, we as humans can never have the intimacy that we have with God. But for us to look at, again, in the beginning, what was marriage? It was monogamous. It was between Adam and Eve. It was enduring. It was something that only death could separate. It was meant to be sensual. Again, Adam looked at Eve and she had no clothes. We'll talk about this in February in a couple months. But again, that's a sensual thing that should only exist inside of marriage. But it's marriage. It's what God designed. In the beginning, this was not so that you should get a divorce. But the reason why divorce happens... Again, my ideal is that you're sensual. And my ideal that you're monogamous. And my ideal this is eternal. And my, my ideal, this is what you need to be. You're one flesh. But because of the hardness of your heart, because you have wandered away from God, that's why these certificates started being handed out. And these certificates were handed out for two reasons. One, it was a means of protecting a woman. Because unfortunately, women would be treated like cattle. They would be abused. They'd be mistreated. Again, that, that level of indecency to just be to mocked and ridiculed and be put in a relationship there. Like Again, like the, the hardness of the male heart wandered so far away from caring for his wife in the way that he ought to as it's one flesh as a means of saving the one, woman. But these certificates were also made to make sure that the man was not a dog of a human being who would turn around and then go sleep with another woman and then go back to the wife that he had. So it's really hard to be like, hey, here's the certificate of divorce, sweetie. Okay, night of party and come back. Yeah, I just really made some dumb choices. Can we get back together? Because the religious leaders in the time were like, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you doing? You're completely living an adulterous life. You're completely living a sensual life. Dude, that's, that's not how you can live. So Moses, when he gave these certificates, we can't look at the fact that, like, oh, Moses gave them, so it's okay. we got to look at it, though. The reason why Moses had to give them the divine concession, because man's hardened heart had taken the holy, righteous, amazing thing that is marriage and has twisted it and destroyed it. That's why he did them. They're a concession. So Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. And it is said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So divorce is only permissible if there's sexual immorality. I don't ever want to turn around and say, well, this is what Jesus means. It's one of the scariest things any preacher can turn around and do. They preach the Bible and be like, well, this is what the word of God says. But let me tell you what it really means. I, I, I like the literal aspect. And I agree with what Jesus is going here. There is that grounds there. There is permissibility if there is infidelity. But 
You can't just run to infidelity as the green light to get out of that relationship. Because you negate the entire aspects of the core of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is so countercultural. Because you also got to look at that. If there's infidelity, how does that relationship end? It doesn't end in divorce. So if a man catches his woman in sexual infidelity, he takes her to the village square, presents her to the elders, and the woman gets stoned to death. Divorce does not annul the marriage. Death does. So when Jesus is teaching this, when he's saying, yeah, there's sexual immorality, he's actually pushing us back to the law. Like if you catch her in that, divorce isn't what ends it. Her being dead ends it. And that's what ends the relationship. So marriage was terminated by death of the spouse, not by divorce. And then fast forward a little bit, it's almost interesting that he turns around. Whoever divorces his wife, except for the grounds of sexual matter, so we can take that whole thing out. And if we read it, whoever divorces his wife makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So when he's going at the woman, man, we caught her in this sin. Death annuls that marriage. And then he's like, yeah, you got remarried. Guess what? You're an adulterer too. And then what happens to you if you're an adulterer? Death. So again, it's not divorce that ends the relationship. It's death. And if you ever needed God a moment to praise God that we are not under the law, this would be it. Colossians chapter 2 verse 13 reads, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiveness of all of our trans- trans- trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. And then he sat aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the, rule, the rulers and the authorities and put to them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. If you ever needed to know why the sacrifice of Jesus was so important, because he took the legal demands upon himself. So if you're like, but I got remarried, I got divorced, am I in adultery, am I not? Very fun conversations. Again, the complexity of these. But we should be praising God, the fact that we are not under law. Because if you are off, death. Praise God that God took our place and he died in our spot. So is divorce permissible? I don't see God's command as divorce being acceptable. But I do see it in the Bible where divorce can be permissible. I want to say that one more time. I do see, or I don't see in God's commandments where divorce is acceptable. But I do see it in the Bible where divorce is permissible. So can you? Yes. Should you? No. Uh, Malachi chapter 2 verse 16 says, For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garments with violence and says the Lord of hosts, so guard yourselves in your spirit, in your spirit and do not be faithless. God hates divorce. God calls out the entire nation of Israel, the book of Malachi, over the fact that the marriages inside of Israel were complete train wrecks. So when we look at this, Is there permissibility? Yes, it's permissibility. But is it command? Is it good? Is it acceptable? I don't think so. Because the majority of divorces happen because people say, well, we fell out of love. Majority of, I got tired. Majority of verses, it got boring. 
There's no more zest. There's no more life. There's no more romance. A lot of divorces happen because it was too much work. If we divorce anybody for our own needs, because our fruit of what we want, and we're at the center of that, that is evil. That is gross. So to look at a marriage and be like, it's not what I wanted it to be. It's not fulfilling my needs. She's always nagging me, and we won't talk. No, that's not the permissibility. But looking at it, we have to be able to look at some things. So for me, while I can look at sexual immorality as a permissibility, like I said earlier, I do feel that that voids the gospel. Because if you have a situation where somebody, husband or wife, whatever it may be, steps out of that marriage covenant, which is gross and disgusting, and there's going to be broken of trust, there's going to be so much there that you're going to have to watch out for, we undo the gospel. In the book of Hosea, basically you have this guy by the name of Hosea. It's a, it's a prophet in Hosea chapter 1, verse 2. And when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go and take yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom in the land that commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Well, that's one of the nicer PG-13 things God ever says. But he's like, hey, there's a prostitute over there. Go marry her. And again, he goes and marries Gomer, which probably like the top five worst names you can ever name your daughter. And I pray to God I never meet a Gomer. If someone's online, their name's Gomer. I apologize, but like, Gomer, go marry Gomer. And Hosea does. And guess what, Hosea, or guess what Gomer ends up doing? She has children, and they name the children a bunch of different names that have a lot of symbolism to them. But Gomer goes back to her lifestyle while she was married to Hosea. That's grounds for divorce. She committed adultery. Probably death should be there too, but the certificate could be there. But what does God command Hosea to do in Hosea chapter 3, verse 1? And the Lord said to me, and this is Hosea talking, Go again, love a woman who has loved another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel. Yeah, she cheated on you. Yeah, she broke that covenant. Go back and love her. Because in the way that God loves us, with forgiveness and grace and mercy and second chance after second chance after second chance, that's where we should be in our marriage. If you're using marital infidelity as your green light, I'm done, I'm out. It's not what Jesus is intending for scripture here. Is trust broken? Yes. Do you need counseling? Yes. Do you got to get back to the roots of everything? Yes. But if there's marital infidelity, I struggle to see at one time how you can just run out. And that's Ryan speaking. Again, there's, there's, I'm not trying to put words into the Bible's mouth, but to look at it, to, to get rid of the aspect that you're together. Yes, is it a huge issue? Yes. Trust is, yes. Is there a lot of brokenness? Yes. Is, but your heart has wandered. Your heart is gone. So for us to be able to look at people and be like, yeah, yeah you're permissible, doesn't mean you should. You should work it out. You should pray with each other. Maybe you've got to do counseling for a while. Maybe he doesn't get it, or maybe she doesn't get her cell phone for a bit. Maybe you do get to know where they're at, because, again, trust is so broken. But your heart has wandered. In this day, it's not so. 
Jesus is throwing back to Adam and Eve, and we've got to stop and we've got to look at this. So even if there's infidelity, yeah, permissible. There's one permissible way I view in Scripture as a means for divorce. And if we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, it says, To the married, I give this charge. And then Paul says, Not I, but the Lord. One of the things that we've got to get into, Paul's very, very humble here, and he's like, Jesus didn't conclude this. This is me as an apostle. This is me as a church leader taking Jesus' teaching and putting it into practice, which is then ironic that God decided that this would be inerrant scripture. So there's almost this, we can kind of get rid of this parentheses because this is inerrancy of scripture. God did turn around and say this. So a lot of people run in this direction. But again, when Paul's like, Jesus didn't completely conclude this, but the fact that we know that's in the Bible and it's going to be in the Bible for all of eternity, we can kind of be like, okay, then God did kind of conclude this. But he says, but not I, not I live with the Lord, but the, the wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or at least reconciled to her husband. Now, does this mean reconciled, go back to them? I think two things. One, you should probably give it a go again. In the same, right, reconciled being like, we're good. I'm not saying go back to your ex. I'm not saying any of that. But that again, we're reconciled, we're forgiven, we're, we're able to move forward. But it says, and the husband should not divorce his wife. So, but then Paul jumps down to verse 12, and he says, To the rest of you, I say, and, not, and then I, not the Lord, but if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, she has consented to live with him, and he should not divorce her. And if any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever, and he consented to live with her, she should not divorce him. So now we just got like a whole thing. Should you get married to somebody who is unequally yoked? Meaning they don't know Jesus. No. Red flags, there's a whole lot of issues there. But what we're starting to see with the permissibility is we're starting to get into that complexity. So if a husband's married to somebody who's unsaved, you who are saved, you shouldn't break it off. Vice versa, same thing. If a wife is married to an unsaved husband, you shouldn't break it off. Why? Because of the gospel. Uh, the way that Paul, when he was chained to guards, when he was writing to the Philippians, and he's like, dude, I'm chained to a guard, and I get to preach the gospel to this guy. Same way you've got to look at that. Yeah, they're unsaved. They don't know Jesus, but guess what? You are in that slot together. You get to be the primary gospel giver in that relationship. So, I'm going to divorce them because they're unsaved. No. You get to be the primary gospel giver in that relationship, and you get to help make sure that that person comes to know Christ. That's what you should do. But then Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14. He says, For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of the wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. So he's putting it. The holy doesn't mean, again, righteous and you become a saint. It's you've come to know Jesus. You have the opportunity to make sure this person comes to know Jesus. If they're unsaved, and again, you ignored red flags, you ignored that equally yoked, you got in that situation, you're like, dude, they, they don't know Christ. I can leave them because they don't know Christ. High road there. No. You stay in it, you suffer, you go through it. Why? Because hopes that they come to know Christ. But then here's the one aspect of permissibility, and I changed the translation just to make it a little bit clearer from NET. Uh, but starting in verse 15, it says, but if the unbeliever wants a divorce... So you as a believer, you don't want the divorce. But the unbeliever, if the unbeliever wants the divorce, let it take place in these circumstances. The brother or sister is not bound. God has called you in peace. For how do you know wife, whether you will bring your husband to salvation? Or how do you know husband, whether you will bring your wife to salvation? So if your primary objective as the believer 
in an unevenly yoked relationship is to make sure they know Jesus. And the unsaved person walks, you can let them walk. You don't have to save it. If they are unsaved, if they do not know the Lord. Because you who are in that spot have the ability to make sure you preach the gospel to them. That's the only grounds of permissibility for a divorce. Now I know what the back of your head is thinking. But what about abuse? What about distrust? What about this, that, and other thing? You have no idea, Ryan, what I went through in that last marriage. You have no idea the hospital visits. You have no idea the tears. You have no no idea how many times I locked myself into rooms in my house. I don't want to act like that's not there. Because we need to be real in the church. Because the reality is, while I can look you in the eye, and I, I, I cannot get to a place of divorce other than the unsaved person walks away. The unsaved person walks away, clear as day, you're good, okay. But adultery, fight for it. Preach the gospel. Make sure the ministry of reconciliation is there. Make sure the gospel is there. It's hard to look people in the eye when they've gone through divorce from abuse. I would look them in the eye and say, I I think you need to stick it out. Someone came, Ryan, I've been beaten. I'd say, then you need to call the cops. Or you need to call me. Because I would love to go have that conversation with that scumbag. I'll call a couple stout elders in my place. We'll go talk. Again, if a dude is physically hitting a woman, what kind of scumbag are you? If a dude is yelling at a woman, physically intimidated a woman, sexually taking advantage of a woman who is their bride, call me if you need to. Because the reality is it's so bad. It's so hard. But I would still say, but the marriage has to stand. This is is just the unpopular scandalousness of the gospel. But if somebody is abusive, somebody is demeaning, somebody is hurting their bride repeatedly and okay with it, I have to question whether or not the gospel of Jesus Christ has truly transformed their heart. If you as a husband, and again, let's not act like men don't get abused and stuff like that, but again, it's a different type of abuse. But again, if you are okay with yelling, abusing, physically threatening your bride, I generally have to question whether or not your heart is truly in the hands of Christ. But then that becomes a, what is the primary motive to keep the marriage going? The gospel. So if somebody came to me, ladies, if you come to me, man, my husband is beating me, like I'm leaving him. No, because you have an opportunity to preach Christ to him. Yes, I, I, I know the difficulty. Yes, I know the hardship. But again, that person's heart is probably going to hell. This is the call of the church. Again, we can't idly sit by and be okay with people being separated from the Lord. And I get the difficulty. I get the scars. I get how much trauma that brings. But hell is much worse than anything you will ever go through on this side of eternity. And that's so heavy, that's so unpopular, that's so difficult. And I sympathize with anybody who has ever been in any spot of abuse or hurt inside of the marriage because that's not how it's supposed to be. But the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ is that essential in our lives. 
to look at a woman who has gone through it, to think about the scandalousness, to be like, you have to preach the gospel to him. If you look at a guy who's been verbally or psychologically abused, I'm like, dude, you've got to stick it out and you've got to preach the gospel to her. I also don't want to alienate it again. Maybe a dude's being physically beat by a woman. Like, I, I got a lot of questions there. But again, if that's going on, dude, you've got to stick it out. Why? Because the gospel is that essential. But if the person's continually, continually sinning and hurting their bride, continually sinning and beating their spouse, I would argue they're unsaved. Then you're on an evangelistic mission. Annoy them with Jesus so much that they get to a point and they're like, I gotta walk away. Okay. We need grace, we need love, we need the forgiveness of Christ. Because what happens when you start preaching the gospel? You see it in people. They walk away because they cannot confront their sin and they cannot rationalize their sin and take it to the cross Because that entails one thing, that they have to come to a point where they change. But that's why gospel is so essential. So with that, again, permissibility, sure, there's permissibility. If you're caught in marital sin and it's there, again, there's permissibility. But that's not how God intended it. We're not going to bring down the, the power in what we believe the gospel is capable of. And do I believe that some of you have gone through some very horrible things? Yes, But Jesus dying on the cross is the most horrible thing that has ever happened in humanity. And I'm not trying to take away, I'm not trying to make light, and I'm not trying to be unsympathetic. But we have to hold there. But now that last question I wanted to answer. What if I've been divorced? What if I've experienced that? What if I've gone through that? The first thing we've got to understand is this is not a scarlet letter. While divorce is sin... So is me eating 15 cheeseburgers because I'm stressed out. While divorce is sin, so is flipping off the guy in your, uh, flipping the dude off who just passed you on the road in your head, or really doing it. I don't know which, one, which one's your, 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 your choice of uh, method. But if there's divorce in your life, this is not a scarlet letter. This does not define you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You hold to that. If you've been there, and again, like, even if you're like, maybe there is adultery, maybe there wasn't. Am I, am I, am I right? I, I didn't stick it out, and, but now I'm here. Understand that your past doesn't define you. Even if you've done it wrong, even if you're outside of, eh, that probably wasn't as biblical as it should have been, Understand the power of the blood of Christ because you are made new. It does not define you. Maybe you've got to go reconcile yourself to the Lord and be like, yep, I can see where I'm off a little bit. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for paying the penalty for my sin. I'm going to learn. It's not a scarlet letter. It does not define you. Second thing we've got to do is, what if I got remarried? Am I adulterer? Now, the thing is, an adulterer is then there's adulteress. If you've stepped out of line and you've done it one time, that doesn't mean that that's what you are for the rest of your life. So I'm a pastor right now. If I stop pastoring, am I a pastor? No. If I go get a great job at GM, I go become an artist, I don't know, I go become an American gladiator somewhere, and again, I'm no longer a pastor, I don't get to walk around and be like, hi, Pastor Ryan, nice to meet you. Because that's not what I am. 
So again, if there's been adultery in your life, that doesn't mean that you're an adulteress. You're not consistently living in there. So if you've been, if you are remarried, am I a daughter? What do I do? How do I figure that out? Same thing. We go to First or Second Corinthians chapter five. All this is from God, and through Christ reconciled us to Himself to give us the ministry of reconciliation. If by chance you were an adulterer, you go to Jesus to be reconciled to Him. You go to Jesus and be like, "Forgive me, help me." And if you've been remarried. Jesus, help me make sure I don't make the same mistakes that I made in that marriage. Jesus, don't let my heart wander in the same way. Lord, don't let, my, don't let me allow my husband's heart or my wife's heart to wander in the same way that happened in that marriage. Lord, I want the gospel to be at the center of our lives. Lord, I want the ministry of your reconciliation to be at the center of our marriage, the center of our family, and the center of the conversations we have with our kids. So if you are there, you got a divorce, and you're trying to, am I adultery, am I this? Same way as, again, eating cheeseburgers, flipping people off, all those things. You, you take that to Jesus. You might get angry. That doesn't mean that, you, again, you live angry. We have to look at sometimes, like, that's not ideal. That's off the mark. But I'm going to make sure the ministry of reconciliation, I'm going to make sure the gospel is at the center. And the third one, how do I make sure divorce doesn't happen ever again? How do I make sure that, again, if you're here and you, divorce isn't, in your history, in the same right, if you're here and you want to make sure that divorce is never part of the conversation in your marriage, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, I'm going to go up in the verse. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for, the, for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. For us, we got to look at this. If you're married right now, then you need to make sure that the love of Christ controls you. If you're single right now, and you have no plans to ever get remarried again, you still need to make sure that the love of Christ controls you. If you're a teenager in this room and marriage is a little bit further off, you still need to make sure that the love of Christ controls you. The whole aspect of why divorce happens is because your heart starts to wander. And while, yes, it wanders away from the physical marriage, it also wanders away from the Lord. And in some cases, it wanders away from the Lord so corruptly and toxically that it causes a mass amount of hurt. That's what makes this topic so complicated. Because you can't just blanket statement like, let the love of Christ control you. That takes care of all your pain, all your misery, and everything you've ever gone through. That you might need counseling for the situation that you went through 10, 15 years ago in your previous marriage. That you still have trust issues. That you still can't look at your, again, new marriage and be like, yeah, I'm terrified that this one's going to end too. It's easy to just say the love of Christ controls you. But then there's actually making it real. Then there's actually holding on to it. But this is the power of the gospel. This is as believers, as Christians, this is what we go to every single day. This is what we cling to. So family is so important. And divorce is one of those things that, in my opinion, is a fruit of the problem. But the root of the problem, when we see families falling apart, is because wandering hearts start wandering. They wander away from each other. They wander away from the Lord. Husbands stop caring for wives. Wives stop caring for husbands. Parents stop caring for kids. That's all a sign of a wandering heart. 
But it's not the wandering heart away from the family. It's a wandering heart away from the Lord. So for where you're at right now, I kind of got like three stages. If you're single, start protecting your heart now. If you're not married, start protecting your heart now. I'm going to make sure that the love of Christ is at the center of all I do. It doesn't matter the good, the bad, the ugly, whatever situation I put myself in, the, the love of Christ is going to control me. I'm going to stay rooted to the ministry of reconciliation. I'm going to make sure the gospel is ever present in all that I do. If you're single and you're not in the spot where divorce can happen, Start preparing yourself now to make sure that the gospel is the center aspect of any relationship you wind up in. If you're here and again, you're married or remarried, make sure reconciliation, forgiveness, and love is seen and experienced every single day. So one of the best ways to make sure that your heart doesn't wander from each other and showing Jesus to each other is one of the best ways to make sure that your heart doesn't wander from the Lord. But love each other, forgive each other, Ask each other for forgiveness. Here's a heads up. We fight. It happens. I have to a lot of times be like, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm prideful. I'm stubborn. But I don't ever want my wife to not see the love, the forgiveness, and the reconciliation that I know from Jesus in our relationship. But also stay rooted in the gospel. And if you're here, and I don't want to push this, and I don't know where you're at, but if you're on the verge of divorce, if it's right there, if he looks at me like that one more time, oof. if he says this one more time, if he leaves the socks on the side of the, the hamper one more time, it's over. Like, if you're there, I want to go back to that verse that we read in the beginning. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored them up, your word, in my heart that I might not sin against you. If you're that close, you need Jesus. You probably need some counseling, but you really need Jesus. If you're on the verge and you don't know how to love each other in the way that Jesus intended, I I, want to implore you, I want to push you. Don't go down the road of, can I do this? Can I not? This will be easier for me because all divorces, you're taking one problem and you're replacing it with another. Yeah, you don't got a crazy wife anymore. You got a crazy ex-wife. Good job. You solved the problem. It's not getting rid of the problem. It's not reconciling away the sin. Storing God and moving towards God solves the problem. So this is heavy. This is lifting a balloon. But I want to pray for us that we all push our hearts closer to Christ so we can know him. Wherever the status of your marriage is, whether you're unmarried, divorced, wherever it is, we all need Christ. We all need his healing. We all need his gospel. And if you don't know that gospel, if you don't know that truth, and if you're like, I am so offended by everything you said and I can't believe you would preach the Bible please come and talk to me. Because knowing Christ is the most important truth and the most offensive thing I say every week. Don't leave here. I can't believe that pastor said that. Hear the fact that Jesus Christ loves you. And we are called to make sure that people know that love.